This program is brought to you from the Margaret Farrow Studio. Hello and welcome to Newsmakers. I'm your host, Lisa Pugh. Department of Children and Families Secretary Emily Amundsen is in the middle of her second term at the agency, while the programs she facilitates are increasingly in the state spotlight. She and Governor Evers have warned repeatedly about a child care crisis in an industry headed toward collapse. And despite a record surplus, the state seems no closer to a long-term solution. We welcome Secretary Amundsen to Newsmakers. Welcome. Thank you, Lisa. It's nice to be here. So the governor appointed you in 2019. Last year, the Senate confirmed you for a second time. Your agency cover, your position entails overseeing child welfare, early education and care, child support. Is the job what you expected it would be when the governor asked you to serve? Oh boy, yeah. Thinking back uh, to who I was all those years ago, um, you know, I was a mom of a four and a six-year-old, and uh, so I was just coming out of probably some of the most difficult years trying to juggle being a working family, uh, you know, childcare, uh, navigating a brand new school environment for, for both kiddos. And, um, and I honestly, you know, I, I was honored um, at the prospect that I would be working with the governor in um, a kids and families agency. And, you know, I knew he trusted my work. Uh, we worked together a long time at the Department of Public Instruction. And so that was really, that was really his pitch is come with me and uh, let's do something in the kids and family space. And, you know, I, I knew that uh, I could find uh, just passion in those issues because that's what I, I had been doing my whole career. Do you feel career. like you've been able to make a difference in the time that you've been there? I do, I do. I think, um, you know, when you when you sort of tick through the list, so we were able to exit a 20-year settlement uh, in the county of Milwaukee. Child um, welfare? Oh, yeah, under, under child welfare. Um, you know, we architected a program that kept like 270,000 kids in childcare during, you know, the middle of a pandemic. I think most uh, most proud, though, is the, the wins we've had inside our agency, really making DCF a place where, um, where folks want to come and then once they're there, where folks want to stay. So when we came into the department, we, we saw a lot of retention issues and um, and now we're a place that, that sees a lot of stability and, um, and that means the programs get better and the services get better for, for kids and families. So that's awesome. Well, we mentioned one of the roles in your agency is to regu regulate the child care industry. In his State of the State last month, the governor said Republicans are on the clock for preventing a child care collapse. We've We've been talking about a child care crisis in Wisconsin for more than a decade. That word collapse sounds catastrophic. Are things really more dire than ever? Is that an accurate way to describe it? I believe it's it's dead on accurate. Um, you know, you, you are right. We have seen uh, a really precipitous decline in the number of providers over the last 10 years or so. And when I came in in 2019, providers were some of the first folks that I talked to who said, you know, we're worried. We've never been so worried. And this was pre-pandemic. And then you add a pandemic on top of that, and it just laid bare all of the issues around affordability and access and the workforce issues that we have uh, in this sector. You know, it's a it's in a sector where it's too expensive to run a program, and it's too expensive for for parents to 
pay for that care. Um, it's an, a, and yet we've got you know employees in childcare centers making uh, less than $13 an hour. Uh, folks who run childcare out of their home make about $8 an hour. It's an unsustainable sector. It, it's a sector that's begging for a public solution. Uh, DCF recently released a Wisconsin regulated child care provider dashboard and on that dashboard the data shows that in January 2014 10 years ago Wisconsin had a total of total of 6080 regulated child care programs across the state that number is down to 4600 today that's a 24% decrease in just the last 10 years when you look at those numbers what what do they say to you? What were, what are the factors that it, that impacted that decrease? Sure. Yeah. So I think um, if you if you sort of break it out between group providers and family providers, you'll see about a fifty percent decline in the number of family providers. So that tells me that le- very uh, very significantly less interest in running childcare out of your home. Um, on the center side, it's about uh, you know it's about the idea that with a uh, a growing population of students accessing uh, 4K, you know, through their public school, um, that had a destabilizing effect on uh, on center-based care, and so it makes it harder for folks to meet their bottom line in group care um, because of the sort of exacerbating effect of the 4K situation, which I know we'll talk more about. Right. Um, I think that this idea of um, how we make this uh, an attractive profession for folks long term um, is is a question that we're grappling with right now in Wisconsin. We have to figure out um, if we have turned the corner and we actually believe this is a a profession for educated folks who are skilled um, at at teaching the littlest Wisconsinites um, and getting them ready for uh, for K twelve. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that is something that that parents are seeing now when they're looking in centers. That is something that communities know is valuable to, to preparing learners for uh, for their next learning environment. We just need to get there as a as a legislature. Uh, we need to believe that this is a, a, a thing that makes communities strong. Um, and I think that's the biggest shift that we need to make. This is not babysitting. This is really early education. When you look at the landscape in Wisconsin, those that decrease in providers, are there certain part of the states that I know they call them child care deserts. Are there certain parts of the state that concern you more than others? Absolutely. Yeah, when I look up in the northern part of the state and over in the western part of the state, um, if you live in a community in one of those two regions, chances are you're living in a child care desert. About 70% of communities in those two areas are child care desert, rural areas. That means you cannot find child care. It, it means for every three children under the age of five, there's only one available spot. And that spot might be across the county. And, and that's what we hear from parents uh, in those parts of the state that it it is very difficult to imagine driving an hour to and an hour from that child care destination that's when you start asking those questions about should I you know should I pull out of the workforce as we mentioned at the top of the show it's been a priority for the governor mm-hmm. to try to solve the child care crisis he included a proposal in his budget he has put the same proposal before GOP leaders several times over the last year asking them to continue funding for the child care counts program and we'll talk a little bit about the child care counts program was started in 2020 with federal COVID relief dollars to help child care providers uh, stay afloat during the pandemic at the height of the pandemic about 40 percent 
percent of child care providers close temporarily. Child Care Counts provides monthly payments to child care providers. Since 2020, $700 million has gone directly to providers to increase wages, provide benefits, and other supports. The, pro the program has helped more than 5,100 child care providers. In your eyes, why is the Child Care Counts program a success? Sure. So I think that the Child Care Counts program hits on elements of the system that all need to be addressed to keep this to keep this sector afloat. So if we're, uh, I think you know you could you could chart any number of policy solutions uh, to start to get at some of the issues that we see in the child care industry. But you need to have a collection of interventions that address parents and how much they're paying for tuition, that address access, so uh, you know affordability and access. Um, that address quality, so making sure those programs are high quality for little little ones, and um, address the workforce. Uh, so we'll, are the folks inside the center doing this work, making a living wage? Child Care Counts does all of that. And so, you know, when I would sit in legislators' offices and we would talk about child care, I didn't meet a, a legislator who didn't uh, who didn't agree that child care was an issue in their district. It's the question of what is our, our will to solve this, uh, this challenge. And you know, there are a number of bills out there floating right. around right now. None of them, though, do that, do that holistic approach to help all of those users of the system at the same time like child care counts does. So yes, Republicans, as you've alluded to, they have not supported the governor's proposal to continue funding for child care counts. They say that that's an unsustainable solution, that it grows government. Um, that they did, however, in the last bud increase the eligibility threshold for Wisconsin shares. As you've referenced, they've had a few other proposals on the table. Most recently, they've put forward ideas around deregulation in the child care industry, tax credits for businesses that support child care for their employees, um, a center run renovations loan program. They also say that a major, a cornerstone of their proposals, major tax cut. Let's put more money into regular Wisconsinites' pockets. Is, are those possible solutions? Why? It seems like from the governor and DCF, maybe that child care counts is this magic bullet. Doesn't there need to be a more comprehensive solution? So I think that I think of it as a pie, and I think um, you know we need a holistic solution. We need a number of different proposals that get at different pieces of that um, of that challenging, tricky issue. Um, I think that what I'm missing when you when you read all of those proposals, I'm missing a, a proposal that really targets the razor thin margins that providers experience each and every day. So parents can pay. Um, double their mortgage for child care, and it's still not enough. For, to support a provider. To support a provider, uh, to make sure that that provider is providing a safe, high-quality environment for, for children, and to make sure that that provider can attract a workforce um, that is qualified and ready to provide that care uh, and also make a living wage. And so I think like that is the, the big issue. All of these proposals are part of that pie. They could all help in various ways to create a, a more sustainable long-term solution to childcare without that big piece of the pie um, around how do we help providers uh, act, actually keep their doors open. Uh, I think we're missing the mark. 
recently the assembly passed uh, with great bipartisan support a new tax credit that would more than triple the allowable credits for families with one or two children in child care. Will, will a proposal like that help this crisis? Undoubtedly, you know, it's a it's exciting to see that kind of bipartisan uh, interest in something that is truly about supporting families at, at some of their most difficult times. Again, you know, as a as a young mom, we made the decision every year, my husband and I, about whether one of us needed to stay home because we were literally in a position where childcare was double our mortgage uh, in the in the city of Madison. One year, my husband, who's a teacher, did stay home because it did not make sense for him to work. That was how expensive childcare had gotten. So this this proposal, uh, you know, the governor has indicated this is an interesting proposal. He's got to take a look at uh, he's got to take a look at this alongside of a, a lot of other bills. Um, but certainly, we've seen through the pandemic that when we can do these types of uh, interventions for families, it makes a huge difference. In absence of support from the Republican legislature in October, the governor announced that he would continue funding for the Child Care Counts program with $170 million in additional federal pandemic relief funds, um, and that extends that program through July 2025. Doesn't that just create a new cliff for providers? Absolutely. But I think, um, you know, what we see now is is that is a needed lifeline. We were we were very worried and very concerned about what was going to happen in January. And again, we now have the luxury of looking across other states and watching what happens as their pandemic relief funding runs out. And are we going to start to see some of the cascading effect of that? Wisconsin has a, a stay in, in that. We're in the lifeboat. The lifeboat might be losing air um, because, again, it's 50% of the, um, the original payment. So folks are feeling that pinch. P parents, families might be feeling that pinch because we're going to have to start edging up tuition if, uh, you know, if they need to, to be able to make a bottom line work. What um, happens in July 2025? Great question. I mean, that's, you know, July 2025, hopefully the governor uh, signs a budget that provides a long-term solution for, uh, for families and for providers alike. Otherwise? Otherwise, uh, we are in uncharted territory, I would say. It's, and that's why that dashboard is so important. We have a baseline now. If you're a citizen, you can be looking by county, by assembly district, by senate district, and you can watch those numbers fluctuate um, as, as we start to tick closer to that, uh, that July 2025 deadline. You mentioned that this is happening in other states. Do you consider this child care crisis a national emergency? I mean, does Congress need to step in? Does the president need to step in? Uh, this is undoubtedly a national conversation. We're seeing this in every single state. Um, I do think that there is a lot of interest, and we've seen a lot of interest from the Biden administration in finding interesting ways. I mean, always it's a funding conversation, but there are also really interesting ways that he's trying to incentivize, um, you know, partnerships, uh, employers getting involved in in helping to bolster the child care industry. Um, those sort of innovative solutions, and so I. I'm really uh, looking with admiration to a lot of states right now who are doing novel and interesting things, unlikely partners. Um, you know, yes, a federal solution would be amazing, but I see a lot more states saying we're not waiting for that, we're going after this. 
for the last several years, D DCF has been working on transformation and how it provides supports in the child welfare programs. Uh, that's following research that indicated that children do better when they're supported jointly with their families when services are provided in the home and when families are kept together. Why was that a necessary shift in Wisconsin? Well, I think that, um, you know, the child welfare sector has, has really grappled, uh, you know, with emergent research that shows that sometimes that removal is more traumatizing than what they were being removed from. In a state like Wisconsin, uh, we know that for as long as we've been collecting data, 65 to 70 percent of the removals are because of neglect. Neglect uh, can look like I missed a car payment and I lost my job and the cascade that happens from that. Um, neglect uh, can, can, is often commingled and co-mapped uh, over, over a poverty framework. Um, and so really this is an effort for us to say if we take a step back and we think about um, how do we protect the family, how do we lift up the family, how do we keep the family strong, uh, there's a whole lot we can do within a family. And this is the first year where I can say we've removed fewer children in the state of Wisconsin than we, than, uh, are, we are providing those in-home supports to. And so we're supporting a lot more families than ever before. Um, and we're not seeing an uptick in child welfare removals. So it's telling you that that's working, it's that approach is that working. It's telling us that it's Let's look at some of the most recent data from your agency on this. According to the data, um, since 2018, there's been a 28% decrease in children entering out of home care and an 18% reduction in total children served. In 2023, 3,474 children were removed from their families to out of home care. Uh, DCF says that's the first time that removals in general have dipped below 4,000 children in or in a, over a decade. So what are the next steps in this transformation in Wisconsin's child welfare system? Sure, so um, the one thing that I could say, so those are great numbers. It, our county partners have been absolutely amazing. It takes everybody in a community to make numbers like that happen. It means that law enforcement and K-12 and, uh, and um, the medical community, everybody understands what we're trying to do and they have to wrap arms around their community in order to make this work. Um, I think that the next step for a state like Wisconsin is we need to start investing in prevention in real ways. Uh, so what does that look like in the next state budget oh then? Do you goodness. anticipate a request? Oh, I, I really, we will, we will keep doing this every single budget. Um, we need to be able to tell a story about how, you know, some of the amazing uh, investments that DHS is asking for in the, um, in the mental health sphere or that um, DPI is asking for in school mental health services. Uh, the investments in family resource centers that we saw in the last budget, these are all ways that we are building a system of support that is ultimately going to impact child welfare. So I don't want to just say, oh my gosh, it's the DCF line items that are going to make an impact on this. It's our holistic way that we're thinking about what we are investing in to keep communities strong. When uh, Jesse James uh, first Senator took over, Jesse Sen James. Senator Jesse James first took over the um, the committee that oversees children and families issues. They made a really critical change to that committee structure, and they put substance abuse, mental health, children and families together. And they said, "That's it right there. If we can see 
this collection of opportunities that we have, you know, whether it's bills, policy solutions, uh, braided initiatives across departments, if we can build it like that, we are going to build a system of support for Wisconsin. Your agency recently recognized Human Traffic Trafficking Awareness Month in January by sharing data that there were 312 child sex trafficking reports to local child care welfare agencies across Wisconsin in 2022. Uh, several bipartisan human trafficking bills making their way through the legislature. They've passed the assembly. One creates a victim services grant, another one a human trafficking council, another one requiring human trafficking prevention instruction in schools. What is your take on that legislation? Is that moving things forward in a good way? I think so. I mean, I, I think it's a nice uh, it's a nice place to be in terms of education, training, um, support around uh, around kind of the again the many sectors, the many different communities that have a hand in in stopping this this pernicious issue in our state. I think again, I w- I would say we need to get to a place where our investments. Um, are honoring things like, you know, youth connectedness. There's amazing work coming out of the Office of Children's Mental Health that show that youth are feeling less connected than ever before. You know, thinking about a slate of interventions there and that impact on on human trafficking, um, I, I see that connection right away. The um, the conversation that w- that we're having uh, and a bill that just passed yesterday with bipartisan support around uh, expanding the definition the definition of kinship um, in the child welfare system, that is, is a huge policy intervention that we think will have an impact on human kinship trafficking. a bigger definition of family to take care of so children? If you are a, if you are an older youth, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, and uh, you find yourself in need of an out-of-home placement in the child welfare system, um, a lot of times there there aren't many folks that raise their hand and say we want you know we want a youth of this age with these types of um, experiences. Um, I think that's where a light kin, somebody who knows that child, even if they aren't a blood relative, um, will help to create again that protective sort of uh, fabric in our community that is going to help uh, create. Uh, better outcomes in this human trafficking space. Another bill that recently passed the Assembly has to do with artificial intelligence, and it's uh, looking at state agencies would apply to DCF, basically asking state agencies to find efficiencies through use of uh, artificial intelligence with the potential for reducing staff time. Do you see a role for AI in improving service delivery within DCF? You know, this is an emergent conversation in, uh, in my national peer group. Uh, you know, it's ironic because we're human services and we're having conversations about AI. But, you know, there are, I think with any government program, you just think about the um, the ability to sort of cross-reference uh, different different um, case histories, the ability to um, to to find programs that maybe um, that maybe we didn't know about that a um, a constituent or a, um, a a you know Wisconsinite would apply for or could apply for. I think that that type of use is a really interesting like emerging technology. I think we're probably still a ways out on that because the downside of that is, you know, the human touch, being able to look at somebody across the table, understand who they are, their story, what inspires them is part of human services. And so I think it's a delicate balance. 
You mentioned earlier in the interview about uh, four-year-old kindergarten. Child care providers came out a few weeks ago in support of a bill that would require what's called community-based 4K. Um, and some people believe that returning that to being required in the community would help sustain child care. Uh, what, what do you think is working currently in the state's 4K system and maybe what could be improved? Absolutely. So, you know, it's really exciting. Roots at DPI, uh, of course. And so to be able to see so many districts embracing 4K um, and not just 4K, but community 4K is Wonderful, and that means when four four year old kindergarten is provided within community providing set provider settings, right? Correct. Yeah. So there's a partnership between the you know child care provider and the school district, and that's you know we see that probably roughly about a quarter of the time. If you're in a district that has community 4K, chances are you love it, and um, and then there's a whole bunch of the state that isn't participating in that, and I think that this effort. To, to bring childcare providers together with the K-12 environment to say, hey, how can we make this work for families? Um, how can we keep continuity? I know when I was, uh, again, when I was using Child Care Center, if I could have had that option uh, to have that child care right, in, or to have that 4K opportunity right there in my child care, um, I, I would have jumped at that opportunity. And so I think that is the option that is really enticing. It's also really important, again, to stabilizing and creating kind of a long-term solution uh, for the childcare industry. Um, so I think that there's some real emerging, interesting conversations. Um, I don't think that as written... That current bill. I, yeah, I think this current bill, um, you know, is good fodder for conversation. But I think that the sticking point there is um, is the sort of mandate that anyone who, um, who, you know, who wants to could. That creates an administrative situation that I think, you know, I think folks need to grapple with a little bit. Um, so maybe I, next legislative session. I, I think it gives us a lot to talk about. I think it gives us a roadmap. Um, and I know that there are interested parties on both sides that want to keep having this conversation. So as we kind of round out our time together today, tell, tell us about some more goals that you have for your agency, say, in the coming year. Yeah. So, you know, we're never not in budget season. So already we're out there talking with stakeholders uh, about you know what they what they see what they need. I think that um, you know we are a state that has provided no new GPR investments in that in that sort of child welfare prevention space um, in the last three budgets, and that means that we are not able to unlock some of the the best parts of the child welfare. Fair transformation, which is that the federal government uh, will reimburse us for for spending GPR dollars on prevention, and so that's something that I'd really like to see us um, move move forward on. I think that um, we are in the middle of a, a child support modernization project that I'm extremely excited about. The child support system is as old as the old unemployment. Uh, you mean the administrative the, mm -hmm, end of mm -hmm. things? Yep, yep, and uh, built off the same old cobalt system. And so getting that updated is going to mean uh, that, that Wisconsinites, um, constituents, and legislators, and child, uh, child support workforce are all going to have a streamlined, updated system. It's a huge lift. It's a multi-year project for us, and it's kind of sleepy, but it's very exciting. Um, what and about then, Young Star? 
Absolutely, Young Star. Um, we just launched and kicked off kind of a prolonged listening session um, because Young Star is, it's 12 years old. Um, it's time for a it's refresh. It's a child care improvement rating system for child care providers, correct? You got it. Um, and it is incredibly important to, to families who want to know that, that their little one is attending a, a child care center that is of high quality. Um, but we need to go back and say, okay, um, what's working and, and what can be updated around Youngstar. So we just started engaging legislators in a conversation about that. We're doing listening sessions around the state um, to really uh, do this thoughtfully. Last question for you. We do have that record surplus, $3.25 billion. If I said to you, you can make one investment, one key investment in improving outcomes for children in Wisconsin that through the programs that DCF administers, what would that investment be? Oh, for for me, I, I would be um, I would be totally out of line if I didn't say I would just continue the child care counts payment program. Um, as I said, it's such a multi multi pronged solution, um, and it ensures that the vast majority of little ones are um, experiencing early education environments that are going to get them ready for, for aged five. And so don't we want to see as many young people ready to go in kindergarten? You know, we talk about these literacy bills, all of the, all of the benchmarks that we want to see our young people hit in grades, you know, kindergarten through third grade, they, they will only get, uh, they will only be more ready with an, an, a true investment in early education. Well, thank you for that, and thank you for joining Newsmakers. Thank you, Lisa. And thank you to the viewers. Be sure to tune in again as we highlight the issues and sit down with the decision makers who make a difference for all of us. You have been watching a production of Wisconsin Eye, your unfiltered window into legislative deliberations and public policy programming, where our mission is to provide Wisconsinites an opportunity to access the legislative process and connect with conversations that inform our citizenry. Please consider supporting our mission, and thank you for watching. Wisconsin Eye, policy made public.